Hi, can you hope? It is, uh, this is not as nearly as nice of a place as where we usually meet, but um, we're pretty cozy in here. I hope you're cozy and comfortable wherever you are, at home, maybe in your PJs, or hopefully you're cozy, even though you know, we're, we are socially isolating, but if we can be comfortable while we socially isolate, that's a good thing. These are, uh, these are strange days. I've heard lots of people say that. I've said that to others. These are odd days. These are, these are weird days. And, and so the story that we're going to look at today is a strange story, a strange story for a strange time. It's an amazing story, really. I want us to set the, 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 the scene a little bit for us to understand what was going on when this occurred. If you read the chapter leading up to this section, you read the rest of Mark 4, you'll find out that Jesus Christ was experiencing crisis, escalating crisis, even before he ever got into this boat. The situation around Jesus Christ was was increasingly volatile. It was tense. It was dangerous. and was getting more dangerous by the day. He had enemies who were already, Mark tells us, were plotting to kill him. He had family members who thought he had lost his mind. He had religious leaders, scribes, who were accusing him of being possessed by demons and by operating based on the, the, from the, the power of the devil. And crowds kept coming. Swells, waves of people kept coming to him, diseased and demonized and needing help. Jesus is being pressed in on, on every side. The situation was tense. And it was dangerous. And then this happens. So we're going to look at what happens here in Mark 4, 35 to 41. Let's let's look at what happens here. Jesus tells his disciples that he wants to cross the Sea of Galilee. He's just finished teaching and healing. He wants to go across the sea and continue teaching and healing. So he says, let's cross the other side. And on the way over, he has a chance to, to rest. You know what that feels like, right? You're, you're on, 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 on the way from one important task to another, one, one, one busy responsibility to another major responsibility. In the meantime, you just try to catch a break, maybe catch a nap. Maybe you've, you've tried to take naps between classes or before you move on to that next challenging thing. And that's what Jesus does here. Many scholars believe that the Gospel of Mark was written based on the stories, the eyewitness accounts of the Apostle Peter. And many scholars think that Mark, in order to write this story, he interviewed Peter, and Peter told him all the things that he had witnessed firsthand as he had walked with Jesus Christ. And so imagine Peter telling this story to Mark with all the details that he could remember. Like it was evening, and there were other boats on the sea besides the one that they were in. And that Jesus didn't just lie down, but he, he lied down on, on, on this cushion. All these seemingly random details that just point us to the fact that, that Peter is, is going back in his memory <laughs> to retell this account that changed his life. The Sea of Galilee is a big lake, 63 square miles. It sits below sea level. Heavy storms hit fast, and, and that's what happened on this night, many of you know that many of the, some of these disciples of Jesus, they were fishermen. 
So they knew the sea. They knew that particular sea. They, they knew storms. They were pros, but even they thought that night that they were going to die because the boat was filling with water. They were frantic. This was an unprecedented experience for them. Do you know what it's like? Maybe you know right now what it's like to go through a particular experience that is unprecedented for you. It's new. And so it may look like you're panicking. Really, you're just scared because you've never walked down this road before. And you don't know how it's going to end. Their fear was reasonable. And if you have some fear in your heart right now as we go through this national crisis, that fear is reasonable. They weren't overreacting. They were drowning. And really, one way to look at it is this. They felt small. They felt powerless. They felt helpless. Have you ever felt that way? Have you been feeling that way recently, maybe? Like, like even though you want to protect yourself and you want to protect your family, and you, you can wash your hands as much as you want, and you can sanitize as much as you want and disinfect, but really, in the back of mind, you're thinking, this isn't really under my control. I can do everything within my power and still, and still, I'm helpless to completely, fully protect myself and those I love. What the disciples did was a smart thing. They felt helpless. They felt small. So what did they do? They went to Jesus. There's instruction right there for us. Very simple. They went to Jesus. They wake up Jesus. Now, now, you've probably experienced this, like, like you, you know what it feels like to, to get woken up from a deep sleep, maybe in the midst of an emergency. It's disorienting, isn't it? It's, it's scary. We, we, we need time to recover. When a little kid jostles you awake or someone or an alarm goes off and, and, and you're, you're, you're trying to like focus, you're trying to, to, to address whatever is in front of you, but your mind is still foggy and you're still kind of stumbling. Maybe we've all been there. I remember in a church that I grew up in, my pastor, Edwin Imot, used to preach very loudly sometimes, and he would sometimes bang on the pulpit while he preached. And there was a, there was a, a brother in this church, his name was Adolfo, and Adolfo used to fall asleep almost every single Sunday. And I remember this just as a little kid, having seen him, always falling asleep. And uh, one, one Sunday morning, Pastor Imot was, uh, was preaching especially loudly, and, and, and he banged on that pulpit, and, and poor... Uh, Brother Adolfo, he jumped up out of the pew, and, and his eyes opened up, and he looked around like, where am I? Who? Oh, okay. And he relaxed. And Pastor Emmett <laughs> looked at him, and he said, uh, he said, I'm sorry, Brother Adolfo, but everything's fine. I will try to keep it down from here on out. He felt bad for the poor man. Jesus wakes up in the middle of all this chaos suddenly, and what's striking is his clarity of mind. He's so calm. He's focused. It's remarkable. Really, that alone to me is a miracle right there. But it gets even better because not only is he focused, he gets up and he speaks to the wind and the sea. And not only that, he rebukes the wind and the sea the the, the way a pet owner talks to a dog with clear commands, expecting full obedience, and he gets full obedience. It says in verse 39, And he awoke and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. Shh! And the wind ceased. And it says there was great calm. Jesus did this to a hurricane. And the storm doesn't just subside. It says there was 
great calm. The, the water is, is literally dead calm. It's glassy, it's serene. Maybe if, it was, if it's, it's nighttime, you, maybe you could look overboard and, and, and see your reflection in the sea. And then Jesus turns to his disciples and he says to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And, and there's something of a gentle rebuke there too. I'm, 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 I'm almost uncomfortable calling it a rebuke. I'm not sure that he, he doesn't, he's certainly not angry with his disciples, but he's speaking to them like a, like a kind father talks to his children with questions. You see, he speaks to the hurricane, the wind and the sea, with clear commands, and he turns to his disciples and he speaks to them with gentle questions. Why are you so afraid? You still have no faith? And their response in verse 41 is this, and they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this? that even the wind and the sea obey him. This is Jesus for us, New Hope. They know him. They knew him already. They had seen him do incredible things. But they didn't know him fully. And maybe this is true of us. We know him, but we don't know him fully. We know him, and we have already seen him do pretty incredible things in our lives and in the lives of others who we love and know. But we don't know him fully, and there are still things that he can do, even now, that will astound us, that may even fill us with fear. (laughs) This lake is calm, but now it's the disciples that are filled with turmoil. There's this whirlwind of confusion in their heads. There's awe and there's fear. It's an amazingly dramatic story. I want us to look at what it is that this story shows us. What does it show us? And in order for us to to understand or at least start to to glean a little bit of what this story shows us, we can look at the three questions that are asked in the story. Two of these questions are asked by Jesus and one of them is asked by the disciples. Excuse me, two of them are asked by the disciples and one of them is asked by Jesus. So the first question we're looking at is in verse 41. It's at the end. Who is this? They ask, who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? The disciples had seen so many miracles already. They had seen healings. But something about this one was different. It's interesting also that the disciples would have known the stories of prophets like Elijah and Moses. Elijah prayed and the rain stopped. For several years, and he prayed again, and the rain came back. That's similar to what Jesus does here, isn't it, in a sense? Moses stretched out his hand, and the Red Sea was parted. That tumultuous sea was controlled and opened up for God's people to walk across. That's kind of similar to what Jesus does here. But both of those instances in some way are very, very different from what Jesus does here. You see, when Elijah wanted it to rain, what did he have to do? He had to ask God and keep asking God. Elijah didn't cause the rain to start or stop. God did. Moses didn't part the Red Sea. 
In fact, it says in Exodus 14, Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land. So who was controlling the wind and the sea on that day when the Israelites were escaping Egypt? Moses didn't control the wind and the sea. It says the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind. You see, no one had ever controlled nature before. These Jewish disciples knew their history. They knew about the prophet Elijah, and they knew about the prophet Moses, and they knew that none of them and no other prophets had ever been able to control the wind and the sea. None of them could command nature to do anything. No one ever told the wind what to do. No one would even dare try. It's no wonder that these disciples ask, who is this? You see, there's only one who can do this. It's Yahweh. It's God himself. He's the only one that can command nature. So this story shows us that Jesus is, in fact, God. Not a prophet or just a prophet. But God himself. Colossians 1.16 says, By him all things were created. By Jesus all things were created. Hebrews tells us that he created and he sustains the whole world by, by the power of his own word. That's what he does right here. He didn't have to cast a spell. He didn't have to chant. He didn't need to, to use some magic words. All he had to do was say, shh, peace, be still. And nature immediately obeyed, had no choice but to respond by complying. He spoke to the wind because, you see, this is the, 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 Jesus is the one who spoke the very wind into existence in the first place. And so if he speaks the wind into existence, certainly he can speak the wind into submission. And if he spoke the water into reality, into existence, he can certainly speak the water into obedience, submission. He has the authority to command silence. He's God. He's God. And this is what Mark wants to show us. If you have children, you know what it's like to tell your kids what to do. And hopefully they obey you. You have authority over them, but it's not authority like this. I don't know how great of a parent you are and how wonderful your kids are. You don't have this kind of authority to be able to command immediate compliance. And, and it's just it's, it's perfect and, and, it's, and it's joyful and it's right on time. We sometimes have trouble not only controlling the people under our authority. We can't control them. We can't even barely control ourselves. What we see Jesus exhibit here is creator power, the power of the creator. Here's what one commentator says. When the disciples woke Jesus up, they were hoping for some sort of saving action, but the scale of it has overwhelmed them. They were hoping Jesus would do something. They weren't ready for this. And, and so just as earlier they felt small in the midst of that storm, now they feel even smaller in the presence of Jesus. Small in the sense that they have no power compared to his. So what does this story tell us? Well, these very words, this question, who is this man? can only be answered one way. He is God. He's God. Here's another thing the story tells us. And it's, it's packed into this question where, 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 where the disciples come to Jesus and they say, Do you not care that we are perishing? Don't you care, Jesus? What's going through their heads, you think? 
I think at the very least they're confused. They're confused by Jesus' silence and by his inaction. He seems to be passive. He's just sleeping. How much more passive can you be? And that's not what they expected from him. That's not what you expect from anyone in a situation like this. Who sleeps through this? It's not normal. It's certainly not what you would think wisdom and, and concern would look like. And that leads them to doubt him. And what makes this worse is that they find themselves out in the storm because they were obeying Jesus' instructions. He's the one who said, let's get in the boat and go over there. They're obeying him. They find themselves in this fix. And he doesn't even seem to care. So Jesus' failure to act, it leads them to doubt. To doubt his concern, to doubt his wisdom. Maybe they even doubted his ability to do anything to save them. But, but really, the question they're asking is a reasonable question. Maybe if you really know Jesus well enough, it's not a reasonable question. But if you're still trying to figure out who Jesus is, and they were still trying to figure out to some degree who he was, it makes sense to ask, don't you care? Because, because we, 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 we think you do, but you're, you're sleeping. <laughs> and you're not doing anything. You're not getting us out of this situation. Do you really care that we're going to die? That question is such a deep question. In fact, that question is deeper than the disciples realized. Don't you care that we are perishing? It's such a deep question because Jesus Christ had left the tranquility, the peace of heaven to become this exhausted man lying in this stinking fishing boat. He was expending every last bit of energy he had every day. He was putting his life in danger. He was being conspired against, hated, publicly slandered. He would soon be mocked and stripped and murdered. And why was he willing to do all this? He was willing to do it all because he cared that they were perishing. Because he cares that we are perishing. Because Jesus knew that apart from his intervention... Those disciples, and us too, would have to face the uncontainable storm of God's wrath. A wrath that they deserved, and a wrath that we deserved. And so Jesus Christ was walking with these men every day, walking with this group of men and women, these disciples, living with them, teaching them, and soon he was going to lay down his life for them because he cared that they were perishing. He cared that they were going to die. Think about that. Nature obeys him. The winds and the waters, they silence themselves before him. But he's willing to subject himself to nature, to all the weakness, the weariness, eventually death itself. And why was he willing to do this? Because he cared that they were perishing eternally. And he cares that we, without him, will perish eternally. So Jesus, he slept through this storm. Very soon he was going to face a whole different kind of storm. He was going to face the full force of God's wrath. The Father's wrath poured out on him. But these disciples didn't understand that yet. They didn't believe that yet, but they they would soon 
And what they were going to also understand is that not only does Jesus care about their eternal well-being, not only does he want to save them from their eternal perishing, but he was willing to save them from dying right then and there on that sea. You see, they had to come to understand, just as we have to come to understand, that not only does Jesus care about our eternal well-being, he cares about our well-being right now. These disciples would come to understand Jesus' care for them. It's not just a matter of the eternal, but it's a matter of the immediate. He cares about the present fears that they are facing, and he cares about the present fears that we are facing in our own personal worlds. He doesn't say to these disciples, who cares about this storm? Don't you realize that if you don't repent and believe in me, you'll die and face God's wrath? No, he says, I'll save you from this storm. I'll protect you from this storm, and I'll protect you from the worst storm that's ahead. I'll protect you in the here and now. I'll protect you in the eternal. A lot of you, New Hope Fellowship, are facing suffering. Difficulty, trials. Things aren't working out the way that you expected. Maybe you feel like your prayers are going unanswered. You're facing these storms, and, and, and then recently, over the past couple of weeks, the storms just intensified. This virus starts spreading, the news of its spread is alarming. And we start to realize I, I was already in a storm, now it's just getting dialed up. Jesus wants us to know that he cares for us in the midst of our present fears, anxieties. He cares. And he's able to keep us safe. He's able to keep us safe. You know, this is a theme that runs throughout the whole Bible. I was just thinking about that in terms of the books of the Bible that we've looked at recently as a church. If you remember, a while back, we went through the last year, we went through the, the, the part of the book of Daniel. And what did we see in the book of Daniel? We saw a God who was with his people through intense storms. He was with Daniel when Daniel was surrounded by ferocious beasts and he was facing the, the unjust persecution of a tyrant. We saw that God was with Daniel's friends when they were in the midst of a furnace. We also studied the story of Joseph, if you remember this too. And one theme that runs throughout, if it's perhaps the core theme that runs throughout the book of Joseph is that God was with his friend, his child, even when his child Joseph was going through intense storms. It's a constant theme in Scripture, and there's a reason that God keeps showing us this. In all these Old Testament narratives, in the Gospels, he keeps telling us about it in the New Testament epistles. We see it played out in the Psalms. Why do we see this over and over again? God is with his people in the midst of suffering. Why? Because in this world, we will face suffering, and we're likely to forget that God is with us. We're likely to allow fear, hysteria, panic to take over. And so God, because he loves us so much and because he knows our weakness and our frailty so much, he keeps reminding us, I'm with you. I'm with you. I've taken care of the ultimate storm. Through my death on the cross, you have been rescued from the storm of God's wrath. I can certainly keep you safe now. And, and, and I'm not just keeping you safe from afar. 
I'm with you in this right now. So what does this story shows us? show us? It shows us that Jesus is God. It also shows us that Jesus is with us through every storm, every trial. There's one more thing this story shows us. It's packed into this last question that we'll look at. Jesus asks his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Do you still have no faith? See, Jesus responds to their lack of trust in him. And and then after he, he asks them this question, he patiently continues to walk with them, teach them. He's saying, you still don't trust me after all I've done. But then he doesn't say, you know what, I'm done with you. I've shown you, you have every reason to trust me. What more do I have to do? I'm done. Doesn't it hurt to not be trusted? When you do everything you can to love and provide and protect someone, You seek to only speak truth to them. You've denied yourself in order to be faithful to them and then for them to not trust you, for them to question your loyalty, to question your love. Doesn't that hurt? It makes you want to just give up on a relationship sometimes. Jesus will not do that. His response to them is, I will show you again and again and again how much you can trust me. I will build your faith by continuing to prove patiently that I'll never leave you or forsake you. See, this story does call us to think about our fears and why we don't trust God in the midst of them. I remember the first time I took my two oldest children to the beach One of them was three years old and the other one was two. They were both very little. And we took them to the beach and and it was was a crazy day. Crazy because anytime you take a three-year-old and a two-year-old to the beach, it's a crazy day. And so we we, we land on the beach and and I've got a three-year-old who doesn't want to put their feet down on the sand because they're scared. They've never seen the ocean before and they see these waves rolling in and, and they're frightened. They don't want to go near the noise, and, and they don't want to go near the sea. And then we've got a two-year-old who can't wait to jump out of our arms and bolt for the ocean, carelessly, directly. And so I remember finding myself trying to coax my three-year-old into calming down and, 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 and just slowly wading into the sea with me. When I look and I see my two-year-old is making a beeline for the ocean, She's about to disappear into the waves. And so I have to put down the three-year-old and chase after the two-year-old. And ever since that day, it's always reminded me of the different ways that I find myself dealing with danger, with trouble, with storms. And maybe this reflects the different ways that we as as a community deal with struggles and storms. Maybe some of us We curl up, scared. We panic. We want to do everything we can to stay away from that trouble. We want to do everything we can to keep ourselves safe, and we can work ourselves up into a state of hysteria. That was my three-year-old. 
Some of us, we can be really careless in the face of trouble, in the face of storms. We don't want to let it bother us. We think, oh, the media is just building this up way too much. This is just propaganda. This is silly. I don't need to be scared. And so in our carelessness, we run straight into trouble without realizing the danger that we're putting ourselves in. My daughter, well, I gave away who was who. I didn't want to give away who was who, but I guess it's obvious. My one child was running into that ocean, not realizing that she wasn't just putting herself in danger. She was putting our whole family in the risk of tragedy. My other child, he was curled up on my shoulder just trying to stay away from the water. Both of these responses I think we can see in the midst of storms. I think we can see both of these responses playing out even around us in the midst of the crisis that we're going through right now as a nation. And I think that God is not telling us, stop being scared, be careless and confident and just walk straight towards trouble. He's also not saying, run away from the trouble, curl up into a ball, and freeze. What instead he's doing in this story, I believe, is pointing us to a third way to deal with the storms. He's showing us to fear the right things and to fear in the right way. Like I said before, many of us were already going through intense storms when when this COVID situation raised the water levels a bit. And, And I don't mean to imply at all that there's nothing to fear right now as a church. There certainly is. The storm is serious. It's dangerous. It's powerful. I'm not implying that we should ignore and pretend that all is fine. But what I am seeing in this story is that Christ calls us to a third way that's not panic and it's not carelessness. It's a deeply rooted trust in him. So what do we do? We go to Jesus for help. We go to Jesus for help. You see, apart from Jesus Christ, the disciples probably would have died that night. And apart from Jesus Christ, the challenges of life will drown us too. The challenges of life had drowned people already. But in Jesus, there is safety. There is safety. Isaiah 8 says that do not fear what they fear. Don't fear what people who don't know God fear. Nor be in dread, but the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. And he will become a sanctuary to you. You see, the disciples feared the waves. What they needed to do was fear Jesus. Not in a way that would cause them to hide from him, but to fear him in a sense of seeing his power, seeing the the majestic glory of who he is and what he can do, and hide in him. Jesus says in Matthew 10, verse 28, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. He says, fear me. Fear me. But as Isaiah says, when you fear me, you will find that I will become a sanctuary to you. You see, the more you fear me, the more you will find safety in me. Seems paradoxical, doesn't it? I couldn't help but remember again that recently we were in the book of James. We read these words in James 4, 14. You do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then 
vanishes. We don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't know if things are getting better or worse right now. It seems like they're getting worse, frankly, but we don't know. We don't know if we're going to turn a corner soon for the better or the worse. James says, that's always the case. Every day of your life, you don't know what tomorrow will hold. Your life is fragile. It's but a, but a vapor. And so what do we do? What do we do? We look to Jesus. We trust in him. We bring our fears to him. You know, this story is not teaching us that when you find yourself in the midst of a storm, trust Jesus, pretend everything's okay, go to sleep. Jesus doesn't tell them, I'll go back to bed. I was asleep, you go sleep. No, he gets up and he stops the storm because he knows it can destroy them and he knows it can kill them. And so when they go to him filled with anxiety and fear, they're doing the right thing. They're bringing their fears to him at least. And so this is instruction for us too. In the midst of everything that's going on around us, we don't need to pretend like we're not scared. We don't need to pretend like, oh, everything's going to be fine. What we can do is this. We can go to Christ with all of our fears. We can go to him and say, Lord, how long How long will you allow this to happen? How many people will you allow to succumb to this virus? How long will you keep us from gathering? How long will you keep us in social isolation, Lord? We don't want this. Lord, please, please rescue. He won't rebuke us for asking that. He'll do what he did for these disciples. He'll show up and he'll powerfully rescue according to his will. This story is a call to believe in Jesus and to know that he's with us. And we need to remind each other of this, church. We really do need to remind each other of this, especially in these days that we can't get together all together on Sundays and and, and sing and fellowship in our small groups, in our families. We need to be reminding each other that although we are isolating ourselves from one another, we are not isolated from the Lord. He is with us. We need to tell stories of God's faithfulness to each other, just like Peter did. Because if he claims to be who, if he is who he really claims to be, and he is, then you and I can find rest. We can remain calm, even in the worst of storms. Let's pray. Lord, our words can't do justice to the the, the glorious nature of this story. We would love to just be there to see what you did on that night. But Lord, we thank you that what you've done to rescue us from the storm of your Father's wrath is even more amazing. And so because you've rescued us from that, help us to trust you in the midst of this. We don't know if the storm's going to subside today, tomorrow, in the next few months. We don't know. We're planning, but we hold all of our plans with open hands before you. Would you please help us to be faithful, to keep loving one another, to keep trusting you, to keep representing you to the world outside of your church. And we ask that you do this for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.